Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Fred School. Hello, Joe. Hello, dear Joshua. Oh, oh my gosh. It's so good to see you. Uh, it's fun when we um, record remotely because I, I get to see your face in close up, you know, just get to admire it. <laughs> gaze upon my visage. Yes, and look, we both are wearing our glasses today. I know. Look at that. So we're just going to be staring into the reflections that just echo and echo and echo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not ashamed of my my handicap, Joshua, unlike Mm. with contact lenses. Right, exactly. (laughs) You would rather poke your eye than live authentically. (laughs) This This is true. You're right. Yes. Although uh, I wish I would. Well, like here. So here's what I look like without it. Right. Like I feel mm-hmm. I feel the bags are more pronounced. I feel <laughs> like I feel like I look like inquisitorial the entire time. Yes. Yes. Just for the people that can see this video. Um, yeah, it's true. Glasses can sort of detract uh, from that, which is why it's like, I kind of only wear my glasses if I'm not like wearing my eyeliner or my eye makeup, you know? Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I haven't like quite figured that out. Like there, I watched actually a YouTube video about like makeup for glasses, like, you know, Ooh. how to like do your eyes so that you can also wear glasses, but I just think it looks weird. So I, if I'm going to do like, if I'm going to go and do all that, I'm just going to put my contacts in, you know, plus I think it'd be actually really difficult for me because my vision is so bad to actually do my makeup without my glasses on. <laughs> I have to like be really close to the mirror. I'd probably poke my eyeball with a, with that brush. Okay, Anyways, I'll do that. How are you doing, Joe? Uh, I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing well, ish. Again, I mean, I think that I think that my husband's trying to kill me. Um, oh, because my car is. I, my car is in the shop once again. Again? Yes. Wow. And Somebody is to- trying to kill you, and I'm I'm actually very upset with this person because they did not include me in the plot. And I just <laughs> think if if anybody has you know a good reason to kill you, it's probably me. They they really should have asked me to help. So well, yes, I'm I mean, upset. You, you have motive. <laughs> uh, you do have motive, but you do not have means or opportunity, right? What is it? Motive, means, and opportunity. Is that what it is? This is true. Yeah, it would be. I. It would be very difficult as somebody who does not drive a car or <laughs> have a basement. Um, I do, you know, own a house that has a backyard that, at least for the next probably 30, 40 years, will be untilled area. So, 
So I do have that going for me. But uh, what's going on with your car? Oh my gosh. Again, well, again, this car. I know it's, I, well, the first, it, it, I've been having problems with it for a little bit. I thought that the problems were resolved. Most recently, I got my car back. I got my car back in January after having not had it since the week before Thanksgiving. Um, right. And then it was fine. But basically, uh, what has happened is that um, the battery for my hybrid car is in the trunk. And apparently, um, there's a gasket that was loose in the tail light that has, um, with all the rain that we've been having, has waterlogged the battery. Which, you know, because we live where we live, where we've been in a drought for the better part of my life uh, living out here, um, it has never, that's never been, an, it's not been an issue, um, but we've had so much rain lately that it has waterlogged my battery and now my battery is dead to the world. I think that these mechanics, you know, they fix one thing, but they make sure that unloosen a little something else. <laughs> it's it's hard not to um it's hard not to become i would take this personally (laughs) i know i was i um i i you know i I just laugh because if we don't laugh we cry but anyway um don't worry folks Uh, if you see a gofundme in the next two weeks it'll be (laughs) um she needs a car (laughs) yeah what a bummer. Well, I hope they can fix it or, you know, I'm not sure if that's something I, you know, again, I don't know enough about cars to know if this is like really fixable. I'm just I very hope. proud of myself that I was able to describe it to you and you understood a little bit because. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's also just like. I'm still not exactly sure what a gasket is. I, I hear people say that all the time. It's, oh, it's a gasket. What is, that's, that's not a thing. <laughs> the basket casket these are things (laughs) i'm just not i'm not fully convinced that gaskets are real it's like sprockets that's not a thing either you know you got springs you have rockets This is a gas-powered casket, is what it is. <laughs> well, that's all cars. Again, this now we're getting to, again, we're going to talk a little bit of uh, psychoanalysis today, uh, you know, uh, psychodynamic theories and what lies beneath. But yeah, you're definitely getting to my, um, you know, underlying fears that, yes, cars are just big, like, metal death boxes, you know, careening wildly around. Uh, <laughs> Someone watched from Overdrive as a kid and got really scared. <laughs> right. Um. <laughs> anyways, uh, well, I do hope they get it repaired because you deserve you deserve to have your own metal death box wheeled thing gasket. <laughs> I also recently changed the name of my car. Um. So, well, when I got my car, um. I, I, you know, I, I believe firmly in naming inanimate objects. Uh um, When I got my car, I named it um, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. uh, (laughs) Okay. Because it's a gay redhead. It's a Uh gay red. Um, Yeah, I see that. Now I have changed it recently to reflect more my own values and queerness. 
uh, further queerness, I should say. So I've renamed it to Jinx Monsoon. Oh, there we go. I love it. But, um, you know, just like Jinx, she's fallen asleep on the job. <laughs> <laughs> no. You, that whole narrative is just like left the Jinx Monsoon like <laughs> legacy. I don't know. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, girl, just admit that you were like doing a shit ton of edibles every day and falling asleep everywhere. Like, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> Miss Monsoon, we see you. Uh, no, um, that's that's delightful. Uh, again, I'm I'm happy for your car. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's got a new identity, but it's still not operational. So I'm not sure yes. about there's that's a lot to uh, also very queer. She new needs identity. therapy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she needs she needs some uh, intervention. Yes. Oh, man. What else has been going on this week? Um, yeah, you're talking about the rain. I love the rainy days. Making me very happy, poured and poured and poured. But of course, you're right. What comes with that is all the things that we don't think about when uh, we do live in a state such as this one. Uh, there's tons of road, like flooding issues and mud issues, and things are collapsing all over the place from being soaked. A friend of mine, one of the cohort in my master's program, her uh, ceiling caved in uh completely it's been a problem i guess but it's just something that they haven't really thought about needing to like fix but all of this rain and the problem is the rain gets in there causes a leak and you have to wait for it to dry out but it just has been as soon as it would dry out it's like all the rain would come you know they could put like some fixes in place but but not enough to it needs like structural you know change um but you know you can't do that until it like dries up a little and then we got like that two straight days of rain or whatever and it just yeah finally gave out uh gave in i guess caved in uh so yeah it's been kind of a and I know other people are having all kinds of other issues and we have tons of like rocks and boulders in the street cuz they like roll down from the hill and cause you know damage or get all in the road i mean that's again it's all relative relative i guess but it's just been um yeah it's just weird because it's like i love i love seeing all the rain i was happy to actually be home most of the day so i could like do my schoolwork and reading while listening to the rain it's very you know calming and peaceful Mm -hmm. um I did put the exorcist on in the background one day, which was so nice <laughs> while I was working. Uh, it's just perfect. Perfect, uh, you know, weather for me right now. Um, yeah, it was really cold yesterday. We went out to a concert. And it was so cold. It was like, this is great. Like I danced and had a great time and didn't get sweaty at all because it was so like cold in the club. It's <laughs> like, this is great. Having a good time. Nice. But it is also a destructive force, clearly. So I don't know if, you know, it's a weird juxtaposition. Um, yeah. Did you watch anything fun this week? Anything new? Um, so I, um, I've been house sitting for those on Patreon who can see the video. Uh, I, they're not in my usual location. Um, I've been house sitting for some friends who are out of town um, in New York City right now. And uh, your background's all blurred. Nobody can tell where you are. Ever. But the lighting is different. The savvy, our savvy re- readers will know. Like, uh, okay. All right. Um, <laughs> they, so I'm watching their little dog. Um, and uh, when 
uh, when they go out of town, my friend has a great collection of like uh, musicals, <laughs> like uh, like like recorded uh, musicals. And so uh, every now and then I'll I'll pop one in when I'm over here. But um, actually, what I what I've been watching while I've been here is I finished from the start uh, season three of We're Here. Okay. I didn't watch it when it was live last year and it was just so much, it was, you know, heartwarming and yeah. Uh, you cry, just I, spend time crying. Not really. I just, you know, <laughs> I, not really. I'm I also dead inside now. So, you know, okay, I, good. Excellent. <laughs> it's working. It's working, Joshua. It is working. Um, but I also watched this movie um, called Drama Rama. Um, it's like an indie movie that came out in 21. Um, it also seems like it's informed by, uh, COVID because it all takes place in a house. Um, it's the, it's like a group of friends from high school. They've graduated and one of them's getting ready to move to the East coast for college. And they're all kind of like sheltered drama kids having like a Victorian murder mystery party. Uh, but one of them has a secret and it's that he's a queer. So ah. it's a coming of age, hemming and hawing of your sexuality type movie. Um, so fun. Yeah. You know how much I love those. Yeah. Uh, was it a horror movie or a thriller or, no, or it's just like, coming of age? Oh, okay. Because like you said murder mystery. It's like, oh, you know, is something actually happening? No, they're just, no, it's just it's, coming of age. It just reminds me a lot of like, I don't know if you had who knew friends or had friends like this, or if you, I don't think you were someone like this, but you know how you have those like really Christian kids that do drama, like do theater? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like they're it's an outlet for them for self-expression and they like are all in on it. But at the same time, they're just like, you know, also uh, like, like content with serving a God that, you know, wants to kill homosexuals and um, apparently, you know, band drag Queens and all that stuff. And so it's interesting because like, they're, they're like, talking about it takes place also it takes place in 1994 in escondido which just seems like a really oh. weird detail um hmm. but it's like you know they're talking about like oh you know they're they are on that's the other thing the girl who's putting on the party is, is on all the time and this is giving me these flashbacks of yeah. a theater kid but also at the same time not being trying not to be the stereotype right yeah, I, I do kind of know what you're talking about. We definitely had a few uh, Bible readers uh, in, in my drama <laughs> classes in, in I read Ohio. The yes. Um, you know, holy holier than thou types. Uh, some of them were like that. Some of them were not. Some of them were really cool. There was one girl, her name was Sarah, and she just sang so beautifully. She played, what is it, Marion? Is that her name in the, in, um, um, the Music Man? Oh yeah, uh, yeah the the lead woman, yeah whatever the lead, and we did that. We did um, the music man for I can't remember if that was my freshman or junior or sophomore year. Uh-huh. Um, I wasn't in the show. I did the tech. I was on the tech crew, um, which was super fun. I enjoyed that because we got to like build sets and like hang out and talk and you know all that kind of stuff. It was very very cool. And um, wear black. 
and wear all black exactly so fit right in but i remember um she would sing there's like a big song in that for her um shit what is it you know her like big solo number Mm -hmm. that she sings um oh my gosh i can't believe i can't remember what it is called I, I also no. Why aren't you helping me, music? I, I mean, come on, the music man. Help. Yeah, but I'm not like I don't. I'm not like that. You know, <laughs> um, I'm not like that. I don't know all of the songs. I know like what is it like from Music Man? I know seventy six trombones. You got trouble, Shapoopy. Maybe it's Will I Ever Tell You, Diana, um, or. Yeah, it could have been Will I Ever Tell You. I'm just, or Till There Was You. Maybe it's that one. No, that's a duet between them. I don't remember. But anyways, there was a really pretty song in it that she sang every night. And, you know, we would just stand, I would just stand in it because that was like a, um, we didn't really have anything to do during her number. And so I would just stand at the edge of the stage and just watch her from the, from the wings. And she just had this gorgeous voice, but she was like a preacher's daughter. Um, and like, she invited me, I went to church with her a couple times, you know, cause back then, you know, I was like, it was a weird time anyways. Um, but I would go cause I just really liked her and she was very sweet and like a very nice person. So I would like go with her but then quickly realize oh this is you know again not for me i remember why i stopped going in the first place um but anyways yes to your point i kind of remember i feel like i kind of want to watch this movie now just to see if it gives me the same like <laughs> kind of like when i went waiting for guffman because like that's it's not a joke like that is oh. really what community theater is like like we all if you do community theater ever or have ever done it you know all the people in that movie <laughs> you know all of them uh-huh. uh so i i kind of appreciate things that tap into tap into that kind of sort of uh memory of like it's like wow this we think our lives are so unique you know we're all snow you know individual snowflakes and we're really not there are just the hundreds of us in all the small towns like <laughs> terrorizing each other um i watch uh the yellow jackets came back so um okay Season two of Yellow Jackets debuted. That show continues to be fuckery. And what? Uh, that's the... <laughs> the New York Times said, huh? <laughs> um, how long is this? No, it's actually, it's really good. Uh, I enjoy it. It's, you know, bonkersville. Uh, so I'm glad I'm glad that's back. And now they've introduced sort of like a culty kind of thing. So, I mean, well, they already had it, but now it's like in the present... Uh, I can't remember. Were you, did you watch Yellow Jackets or no? No, it's on my list. Okay, yeah, you should definitely watch it. I actually binge watched the whole first season over a couple of days uh, in between, like on my breaks uh, for class. Mm-hmm. Um, rewatched the first season, and then um, it actually came to streaming on Friday. I guess it actually airs Sunday nights, so I watched it early. Ooh, uh, we watched we watched the last couple of episodes because uh, Jeffrey wanted to to watch at least the final uh, episode from last season. And then we watched the second one and that was really fun. Um, I just, yeah, I really like that show. It's like, I can't wait for like some of these storylines to, you know, sort of have some finish. Cause it's like, there's a lot going on. It's like, Ooh, please don't forget the threads of things like, you that know, so many sense. other. Right. Um, let's see. Oh, we also watched that knock at the cabin. It came to Peacock. Oh, good. Uh, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, I will say that I definitely, 
I'm not really, I'm sure stuff is out there, but I have never watched or read something quite like the story that it's telling. Okay. Um, and I know it's based on a book uh, by Paul Tremblay, I believe, um, which is called something else, A Cabin at the End of the World or something. Yes, and, A Cabin at the End of the World. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was, I thought it, was, it had an interesting premise, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know, it just... It's another one of those movies where you're like, well, it probably would have been more interesting if the story that it's telling wasn't actually the story it was telling, you know? Mm. Um, like, we kind of talked about that with some other things. Like, oh, wouldn't this movie be more interesting if there wasn't a supernatural element, if you just thought there was, or, if, oh. you know, that kind of thing. Like, I just think it might have been a little more interesting. Um I, but I don't know. I mean, who can say? But I will say that the book that it's based on, the story of that, um, and how the story's told, the changes that they made to the film, again, I think the book would have been more interesting. Well, you know, if they would have just adapted it as like as the way the book told the story and the things that happen in the story and the choices that are made, uh, I think would have been better. Uh, just because I know the differences between the two. Um, I haven't read it yet. It's been on my my to-be-read pile. Um, but, I mean, again, I I don't care about being spoiled with stuff because I can still sure. experience stuff as I, as I like. So I know what the differences are. And I really wish they would have stuck with the book. And I don't know if that's... I read that they had adapted the screenplay and it was, like, on that blacklist or whatever for, like, best unadapted or best unproduced script... But I can't imagine the script that they used is that is that script. I imagine it was probably closer to the book. Um, and then M. Night Shyamalan rewrote it to put all his like stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it I, I think it suffered. But again, I have no proof of that. I did not read the unproduced, you know, blacklist script or is that what it's called? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Um I just have a feeling I'm like, if that was like the best, one of the best unproduced screenplays of 2019 or whatever the hell it was, um, then like, what were the others? Because it just, it was kind of very obvious, I think in some ways, it just could have been more interesting, but um, you know, it was fun. We ordered pizza. We've been on this weird, like no sugar, like we've been like really radically changing our diet. Lately, so we haven't like ordered any food in for a long time. We haven't been like you know, we've just been weird. So, anyways, it's a whole thing that I just can't get into here. But <laughs> we we ordered a pizza and got some wings and kind of you know had like a fun little Friday night movie night. So it was uh, it was Aww. it was fun to do that way, and I I think that'd be great for anybody. Um, at first when I was watching, I was like, oh, I can't wait to talk about this on Fright School, like, you know, where it was kind of going. And then I was like, mm, no, I'm not sure. So I'm going to kind of stick a pin in it. I do think there's some interesting things to explore in it, whether or not we want to eventually do it on this show. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, can I, I, can I read some of the titles that are on the blacklist from that year? Oh, sure. Because I just found it. Um, so 8-Bit Christmas. Okay. Is on the blacklist from that year. Uh, they That makes sense. Everybody really loved that. <laughs> Don't worry, darling. Okay. Um, let's see. The menu. Oh, yeah. See, no. It, this movie is not competing with, like, the menu. 
in my um, opinion. Let's see. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, <laughs> which is the one about the Nick Cage movie. Yeah. Um, and then also the, um, there was a, it was a movie about Betty Ford, but they adapted it into a television show. Ah. That, I wonder if that was the uh, First Lady um, series yeah. they did. Yes. Uh, well, I, I don't think it was the... It's specifically about Betty Ford. Oh, uh, okay. Then I don't know. Um, and then it uh, looks like a horror movie called Shut In. Mm. Um, that was directed huh. by J. Caruso. So, well, yeah. again, I bet that the unproduced screenplay was probably really good. Uh, and maybe because it did, because there are just some choices. Different people die in the film or in the book than the movie. Different mm-hmm. uh, choices are made. Different, like you know, positionings happen uh, that I just think would have been more interesting. Uh, it would have involved um, death that we don't like. I think that's another thing is that the book deals with some stuff that like we just we we're very uncomfortable with. So it would have made it a more it would certainly made it a more darker film and maybe more serious than they were kind of doing in this in a way. I feel like they were trying to lighten it a little uh, and make it a little more like fun in the apocalypse, even though it's like, yeah. you know, millions of people are dying. It's a whole thing. But I I don't know. Again, these are just initial thoughts. I didn't do some deep dive. It's just I, when I was looking, I was like, oh. If that's the best, if that was one of the best screenplays of 2019, I wonder what the others were. But if like the menu is on there and the other ones you were talking about, like those are, those turned out to be some good, interesting movies, maybe not, you know, masterpieces, but interesting. And I just don't think that this was as interesting as it could have been. Uh, Certainly not as interesting as the subject, uh, as the um, source material. Yeah, I agree. Well, I, I, I can relate to you. I've not seen the movie yet or read the book. Um, yeah. I kind of wanted to see now I think my gonna my instinct is correct because when the movie was getting ready to come out and M. Night Shyamalan was attached to it I immediately thought huh I wonder if I should read the book first because I know it's going to be different and so I think you confirmed that I should read the book first uh, I don't know I'm a convert to the other way because at least if you see the film first you can't be disappointed as much in the book I mean, maybe you could be if you really love the movie and then hate the book. But uh, I think, yeah, the idea of like reading a book and kind of having your whole expectations built and then you go and see sure. the adaptation and it's like ugh, kind of a letdown, at least if you start the other way around. I don't know. There's probably it, it's whatever. You know, I can't say you do what's right for you, Joe. Um, and what's right for us right now is to take a quick break and we will be back to uh, chat about 2000's What Lies Beneath. It is mind-blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! All right, welcome back. So we are wrapping up our, uh, again, I don't know if we like really intentionally set out to do sort of a women's horror month, but it is, you know, women's history month. So it kind of makes sense. And we have been talking about gaslighting and, you know, all kinds of crimes against women this month. So thought, hey, 
Let's wrap up with what lies beneath. That'll be fun, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, 2000. So I I have very clear memories of this uh, movie when it came out. Uh, also has Michelle Pfeiffer in it, who I love. I mean, this is great. You got Catwoman. You got Han Solo in a thriller yeah. <laughs> horror movie. Um, yeah, Aunt, uh, Aunt Zelda. Aunt Zelda shows up. Dexter's dad. You know, which is really crazy. Okay, so this is bonkers. <laughs> I've seen this movie. I don't know how many times. Um, when I first saw it, it was probably so. This came to home video. I actually looked this up. This came to rental like video in like January two thousand one, which is definitely when we saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, we got it like right away. It was like a new movie. I remember my mom. We we all watched it together as a family. My mom really liked it. We all, you know, liked it. And I remember the husband in it, uh, Mr. Uh, what is his name? Professor um, Fuhrer. Um, I, you know, Dexter was not by then. I didn't know who James Remar was. I didn't realize I'd seen him in a whole bunch of other things. Like I, now that I've looked at his like, you sure. know, credits and stuff, but I just didn't like recognize who he was at that time. And then once you've seen the movie, you know he's a red herring. So when I rewatch this movie, I don't pay too close attention to those scenes, generally speaking, because uh, this is another one of my rainy day movies, like The Ring, or like I like to put this on. It's dark, it's blue, it's, you know, it's like, it's perfect for like a rainy day. Yeah. Um, lots of water in it, obviously. <laughs> um, but to, I was rewatching it to prepare for this today, and this is the first time I realized that that was James Remar as the husband. Because <laughs> I, like, I don't ever really pay too much attention to him. Uh, I just because I, you know, it's like it's it's like a background movie, you know. So well, it's like it's also, a movie that I know. He's also a man, and you're not looking at him, right? But it was just one of those things today when I was watching it. I was like, oh my gosh, that's James Remar. I never realized that in twenty. Three freaking years of this movie being out. I have it. I own it. Like, it's just crazy. Like I said, I've watched it a whole bunch of times. I never realized that was him. Because, it, you know, like I said, I didn't recognize him when I was younger. And then I didn't really care about, you know, the character too much. Because, um, you know, I just, you want to get to the, that end sequence in the bathtub. Because it's just, it's so anxiety inducing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yes, we got Harrison Ford, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, Miranda Otto, who, Miranda Otto, who I said uh, played Aunt Zelda in um, um, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, uh, James Remar, um, and then uh, Diane Scarwood, who plays Jody. She was Christine, uh, uh, Christina in Mommy Dearest. Uh, she was also in The Party Monster and a whole bunch of other oh uh movies yeah 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 she's got uh, so and i love her she's like one of my favorite characters in this movie her like mystic friend who like comes over with her cool car and helps her do the seance <laughs> um yeah so uh, you know and taylor's oldest time you know it's about a woman being haunted by the mistakes of her husband uh <laughs> being driven mad so it's yeah. this is this is ancient uh, scripture, dear friends. Uh, so, <laughs> Joe, let's, uh, as always, start with, because this is, again, one of the few movies that we've done that you actually have some some experience with. Yes. Um, so, uh, What Lies Beneath, I think I watched it on DVD or probably probably DVD when it came out um, with, like, it was a rental from B&J Video that my parents picked up. Um I don't think they would ever classify it as horror. I think they just saw like it was a drama. Plus, this is one of the other reasons why I miss the days of the video rental place, right? Is because I saw things that like now I would definitely classify as horror. 
my parents, I can't even imagine them even picking this movie up if it was in the thriller horror section. But I also think that maybe they thought it was different because um, Harrison Ford's in it. (laughs) And so they thought it was like some sort of, you know, swashbuckling action adventure. But... (laughs) Um, I rem- I only saw it the one time, and the only clear memory I have of the entire thing is like the getting her getting drugged and then dragged to the tub. You know what I mean? Like that's the the scene at yeah. the end, which is like the you know the best part of the entire film. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer's character Claire, and so I'm watching it, and I'm like like remembering, and I'm like, oh, is is this what's happening? Is this what's happening? And I completely. I was getting this movie mixed up with um, Double Jeopardy. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Yeah, with Ashley Judd. With Ashley Judd and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, Mainly because... So mainly because the... In Double Jeopardy, you realize that, like, the best friend or the nanny is in on it with the husband. Right. Spoiler for Double Jeopardy, but, like, she gets it's from 1999. So yeah, she, gets, she gets convicted of killing her husband, but she finds out that her husband's alive. Um, so it's like interesting because like the whole time I'm just thinking like, oh, is Jody in on it? Is Mary in on it? Like what is going, you know, where's the, where's the twist? And then, you know, as we get closer to the end, I realize like, oh, it's actually not a twist. You're just misremembering the movie. You're right. <laughs> but um, I I had it. I thought it was fun. Um, amazing. I I thought it was. It like reeked of the late '90s, early 2000s for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so I thought it was really, really fun and interesting. Um, I don't know if I'd watch this again. I think I'd watch this again if it was like rainy outside, because you're right, this was a rainy movie. Um, It did, uh, it was raining when I was watching it. And then, you know, the next day my car wouldn't start. So I thought that Harrison Ford was coming for me. um, (laughs) Absolutely. I get, I understand that. Why wouldn't he, you know, you, you, you know what you did to Harrison Ford. (laughs) Um. Yeah, you know, again, I, I I remember us getting this movie out. I remember really enjoying it. Uh, you know, it's directed by Robert Zem- uh, Zemeckis, who has done, you know, lots of stuff that I love. And this definitely has some really cool sequences in it that remind me of, like, Shots from Death Becomes Her and some of his other movies. He does a really cool, like, there's a sequence where she's running at the end and, like, she opens the door and, like, the mirror reflects, the like, the, the door mirror. What are those called? <laughs> Side view mirror. Yeah, the entry yeah. door. Or are you talking about the wait, are you talking on about the, on the truck, on the on tr- the or on the car or whatever? And she like it's just the way it's shot. It's like reminds me of some sequences in some of his other movies. There's you know, he has a, like a very uh, specific style. Uh so yeah, I remember really enjoying this movie and um you know, just uh yeah, and again, and I love Michelle Pfeiffer. She's like one of the few women. Like, I definitely have had a crush on her since like I was a kid. I remember her being Catwoman. I've talked about that before. She's one of those like, you know, women on the on on the list of like, yeah. you know, if I'm gonna if my female, you know, or women crushes female. What the hell? Um, <laughs> women crushes. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's definitely on there uh, and remains. Uh, she's just delightful. I adore her so. Um, 
So in reading some stuff about this movie, uh, I, I, just to kind of contextualize this time specifically in horror. So we're returning to projected fears, uh, Kendall R. Phillips book. It's one of our recommended texts. And I think it brings up some kind of interesting things about like, uh, so the, this chapter is actually specifically about the sixth sense, which came out, what was that? 99, six, yeah. somewhere around there. Uh, yeah. 1999. And um, kind of looks at like, kind of where horror was going in the dawn of the new millennium. And I don't remember, how old were you in 1999? Um, I was 10. <laughs> okay. So I don't know how many memories you have of that time, but I was 15. Somewhere there, 14 or 15. So I have like clear memories of like the panic you know, that everybody was having over Y2K and like the millennium coming and, you know, just like people were, um, it just like any anything running out you're stocking up on water and toilet paper and you know various sundries to survive the coming apocalypse uh you know growing up in a small town in ohio all the religious people were very very concerned about the second coming of christ um because um it says in uh, various readings of the biblical book of the Revelation of St. John, uh, the divine, the final return of Christ is related to the notion of a millennium. For some, for some, this millennium occurs before the return of Christ. And for others, the millennium is a period in which Christ reigns on earth before the final con conflict that signals the end of the world. So anyways, there was like lots of anxiety about like the coming apocalypse. Um, and then along with all like the techno uh, technology stuff with the Y2K bug and like, you know, the economic collapse. And it was just like a really strange time to like grow up in. Everybody was like panicked. Mm -hmm. um, and then, <clears throat> so obviously, you know, again, lots of apocalyptic kind of uh, themes, but what sort of came out of that moving into the, into the new millennium was this like return to, like gothic literature okay and like gothic themes so you have uh the sixth sense come out uh films like the ringer on the uh, on the um horizon uh the others by um who did the others i don't remember um what was the what other uh, stir of echoes what lies beneath is included in this the others the ring um they even include like the blair witch project in this is kind of like a really gothic kind of uh return yeah. in a way it sort of comes before um the sixth sense and i like this because it talks about how so all these movies have um main things in common women who are wronged who like you know their spirits return or their spirits are um you know somehow uh, causing chaos in the modern world mm -hmm. um and this is like yeah two narratives of millennial apocalypse uh emerged in the final year and then as i said kind of moving forward so gotha fiction depicts the ways that the past returns to haunt the present uh you know and this intermingles the world of the day you know the rational natural world and the world of night the realms of irrational and supernatural uh in gothic literature we are haunted by those things we have left behind uh the past returns to us through the world of night and slowly invades the world of day um Gothic art serves as a way uh, for its audience to reconcile its itself to change and instability. So, it, again, you know, this is 
uh, archaeology. <laughs> We're sort of kind of looking back and you have this world where things seem very, very unstable, very, very terrifying. We're all worried about, uh, you know, the collapse. And I remember even on uh, New Year's Eve, I... 99, I went to a friend's house, but my mom really didn't want me to go because she was like, we should all be together for like the end of things. And I'm like, y'all are crazy. Hey. <laughs> I'll be at Nicole's. <laughs> and so, and I did, I spent, I spent news and we all woke up just fine the next morning. Um, I mean, not just fine, you know, how things go, but uh, can't say that everything's <laughs> been just fine after the new millennium, but um, okay. But yeah, so I just thought I thought this was a really interesting um, uh, point to make about like how Gothic art reconciles itself to change and instability. So we just have a world that feels at that time like really, really, you know, shifting a lot. And so it kind of invigorated this return to Gothic type uh, stories uh, that uh, that came. And obviously, like. Um, like I mentioned that, and I think Gothica also kind of follows in this sort, which we started with this month. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see if there was anything else. Um, yeah, the resurgence of Gothic horror at the turn of the millennium should not be surprising. American horror has always been about what lies lurking just beyond the boundaries of vision and normalcy. When American horror emerged in 1931, the creature lying at the edge of civilization was the seductive embodiment of chaos, Dracula. As horror moved closer and closer to the everyday lives of Americans, that chaotic horror evolved and transformed to match the anxieties of its day. But as Americans stood poised at the end of one age, uh, of one age another one was dawning. Uh, so yeah, I just thought that was very, very cool. Um, it offers a way to resolve the problems of the past, but also a way to enter boldly into the future. But again, by telling kind of old tales, which sort of moves us into, uh, specifically, uh, talking about, uh, what lies beneath. And, uh, one thing I wanted to start with, so this is from topic.com, something wraith-like this way comes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, and it's about uh, a certain kind of ghost story that's told all over the world. Uh, So, these stories share a similar thread. Young, beautiful woman catches the eye of a man or finds herself wanting to enjoy sexual intimacy. And she strays from her womanly, red, motherly, daughterly, whatever roles women are supposed to be playing in any culture at any given time. Uh, She strays from her womanly duties. Uh, Thanks to her vanity and discretion, the young woman is castigated or cursed, made to face death or eternal life as an undead being. Uh, Her punishment is often disproportionate to the fates of the men who aided, abetted, or induced her forbidden actions, men who generally then disappear from the story completely. Uh, The genre of ghost story, which I call wailing women, is centered on fear, specifically male fears about women with ambition, women who crave power and independence, display anger, or seek ownership over their own sexuality. Uh, These stories span generations, civilizations, language, cultures. The terrifying ghosts at their centers are less fully explored or comprehended characters than they are devices for instilling fear and disdain in children and adults alike. So we're looking at like um, La Sayona from Venezuela, Mm -hmm. uh, La La Llorona from Mexico, uh, uh, Kuchisaki Ona, that's from Japan, The White Lady from the Netherlands, Brazil. I, didn't you talk about something on Guam like this? A white yeah, lady there's, or a... There's a white lady. There's, well, I mean, there's now there's lots of white ladies. Um, but the legend that I grew up with was that there's, um, there's a bridge in one of the villages on Guam that we call the White Lady Bridge that, yeah, uh, is being haunted by a, you know, a, a wronged woman. 
But is yours a literal like white woman or well, is she? I, I don't know if she's a white woman or if it's a woman in white, like a dress. Okay. So because it's kind of both. Know. So so the white lady, and we kind of see this in uh What Lies Beneath, because obviously Claire dresses, she's very you know, um, ultra beige before, you know, like she's on the cutting edge. She's in, she's in lots of like pale pastel colors while Norman's very dark. He's in black. I think in the first sequence, like he's in black, she's in white. It kind of telegraphs its story from the very beginning, which again, kind of disarms us as we're watching it. Cause we really aren't expecting Harrison Ford to be like the guy, even though, you know, he is. like that is how these stories go. Um, but ghostly women often wear white. Obviously, it's symbolic. And there's all kinds of different things that we can talk about about white. But um, I like this. The white ladies of Brazil also dressed in white add a chilling racial element to the genre. Um, white ladies are ghosts of young white women killed by their fathers for consorting with men of other races. Author Gillian Flynn included a nod to the specter of the white lady in Sharp Objects. Um, you know, so it's like these sorts of... Um, racialized as well so that's why i was kind of asking like if you if you knew if she was supposed to like be like a white woman ghost or if she is a some other ghost from of guam because <laughs> i just i you know reading that anyways we keep going on uh la Siguanaba from central america i mean this list goes on manak from thailand uh the lady in red europe uh north america brown lady in England. I mean, it just goes kind of on and on and on, you know, in these sorts of stories uh, being told about uh, women who, who have been, who have been wronged. Um, let's see. And then moving to, so we got, we were very lucky when we were at the uh, Renegade Film Festival last year to, to meet Meg Hoftal and Kelly Florence, who write this series of books called the science of, and so it's like serial killers or witchcraft or whatever, uh, the science of women in horror. And they they have a whole chapter dedicated to what lies beneath and talking about these various uh, vengeful ghosts. Um, and they mention like the Green Lady, uh, the Chindi of Navajo folklore, obviously uh, La Llorona, the Chudail, uh, Chudail of India. Mm-hmm. And um, and then also they bring up the story uh, the story trope of a woman haunting others from beyond the grave is also in literature. You know, the Pit and the Pendulum, Rebecca by ba- uh, Daphne du Maurier, uh, Beloved by Toni Morrison, which is uh, so great. We might have to do that sometime on this show, just because it's such a good movie. I, I mean, again, it's kind of like this, um, you know, where it's sort of a gothic kind of story. Okay. Um, and then obviously this is, it goes to, um, this metaphor is exactly what is haunting Norman and his wife in What Lies Beneath. Um, <clears throat> I thought there was another, sorry. But there was something else that they mentioned in here that I really, really liked. But aside from reading all of this out loud to you, uh, The Ring, I think I brought that up too earlier, uh, about revenge. These A lot of these stories are about revenge and um, it's really interesting when we think about, um, you know, how wronged women are. It's like culturally, cult, like the cultural consciousness of the crimes against women permeate the globe <laughs> so much that we create all these stories about like these women who are, you know, wanting vengeance and uh, you know, we should be afraid of them and, and, and scared of them instead of just, um, I don't know giving women full <laughs> like equal justice and all of that under the law, you know, taking sure. women seriously. 
which again gets at the whole of, of what we're discussing, I guess, in this um, you know, whole uh sequence of of uh, of films. It's like just yeah. stop trying to make us afraid of women's power and just like let's see what happens if we give it to them fully and without any conditions, <laughs> as we have uh men. Um Something else I thought, and again, this is like what lies me. This is this was the other thing that was in here uh, about um, uh, from the science of women and horror that I really like. They kind of bring this psychoanalytic uh, thing. So according to Sigmund Freud, projecting onto others as a psychological defense mechanism that we use to cope with undesirable emotions. And then this whole movie, you get all the different uh, projection, uh, all the different um, defense mechanisms: denial, distortion, passive aggression. Uh, um, repression, sublimation, dissociation. It just kind of this whole movie, it's like what lies beneath. It's very, um, very psychological, very psychoanalytic of like everybody's kind of hiding something, uh, particularly Norman. Uh, Sorry, you were going to say something. What is sublimation? Sublimation, it's sort of like um, converting negative feelings into positive actions. Um. It's like, how can I explain like sublimation in like an easy way? Um, <laughs> um, Pretend I'm one of those kids that you, uh, you know, we're talking. I know. About. It's meant to be. It's, so it's one of the mature types of defense mechanisms because there are there are immature and mature um, um, defense mechanisms, and so it's like. Um, Socially unacceptable impulses or idealizations are transformed into socially acceptable actions or behaviors, possibly resulting in long-term conversion of the initial impulse. Um, So what would be a good example? Um, I'm trying to think of this movie. Um, I mean, he tried, like Norman, for instance, like he does something really horrible, but he tries to like do it for the benefit of like his work that he thinks like, it's not good. Like it's not exactly mature with him, but I guess that's kind of one example of how he's trying to sub he's trying to sublimate. Like I did this horrible thing. I'm trying to cover it up. So my wife will be happy. Her daughter will be happy or our daughter, even though, you know, she's from another um, uh, marriage. Um, And it's like the work he's doing is good. So the, the bad things that he's doing have to be, um, but that's not exactly a really good example. Maybe I would argue that sublimation isn't. I think I might know then. So, so are we saying then like, so there was this, um, um, is, is it like when you in like Constantine where he is trying to do good things for all the bad that he committed in other life. Maybe I here, here's probably a bet. A woman who recently went through a breakup may channel her emotions into a home improvement project. So maybe it's a way like Claire. I think that's a better one. Cause like Norman's just being like, he's just gaslighting and being, you know, manipulative, but I would think he would, he would think he's doing something right. Like I have to like protect, you know, the things that matter to me rather than let this like one girl ruin my life, which obviously is wrong. He's a sociopath. Like this is terrible. Um, but 
Claire's like accident, you know, she's trying to use it to, um, you know, like that, that, like what came along with all of that is like to devote herself to like motherhood and like revamping this house and and doing all those sorts of things. Um, You know, it was probably a good, a good way to look at sublimation in, in this movie, but otherwise the others are really obvious. They are, they can, they can be very passive aggressive at times with each other. Um, obviously there's plenty of denial and things that are repressed her whole memory of the accident, the whole instigating kind of thing. in in, in the film that happens before the events of the film, uh, she doesn't remember. And that's part of like the ghost job is helping her remember that she knew about the affair and, sure. you know, she, you know, um, Again, he probably maybe had something to do with her accident or, you know, who knows? It's like all, it's kind of blurry, I think, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So besides the literal ghost in it, so back to kind of the point uh, um, I was trying uh, trying to make about ghosts, like Claire also, um, I should have mentioned this earlier, is kind of also a ghost, metaphorically. Like she talks about this with the psychiatrist or the therapist that she's seeing how she herself is kind of invisible and like, nor- she's just kind of like a prop. Like she's just a evidence that Norman has done better than his father did. Um, and like, he's always, uh, Norman is always like haunted by his past and so much that like, they're even, they've inherited this house, but they mentioned they did all this work to it. They've changed it. Um, you know, and now she's like haunting the former home of her husband's father. You know, it's like a weird head trip, I think for her. Um, so again, it just, that's quite brilliant that she is herself a wraith, a ghost. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think she talks about how she was a musician and traveling the world and like really enjoying her life. And she gives quote unquote, gives it all up to be a wife and a mother. He of course counters that with that's what she wanted. You know, she had a baby, she's touring, you know, in a band and like, you know, what else he was offering stability. So they kind of go back and forth. So it's not exactly resolved, um, how much you, did he really force her to stay home and do that? I mean, I th- it feels that way. Again, it's another sure. just, it's another one of those. Um, it's very gothic as well. You know, like woman, you know, strong, independent woman, you know, married and becomes a prisoner of, uh, you know, of, of cultural expectation. Um, and then when her child leaves, it's right. like the first time. Where's her purpose? She has no more purpose. Yeah. 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 Where's, where, where's the, um, the will, you know, so it's like the perfect time for the ghost to kind of come and like <laughs> disrupt her life finally. Cause it's like, she has some, she needs to not be paying attention to like the daughter or something. Yeah. Um, there's actually a really interesting scene in this uh, movie that again, a lot, like, I can't decide if it's, I wish I could watch it again for the first time because I don't have clear memories of what I thought was going on Um, because they do a really good job. Obviously, when you first watch it, they do a good job of thinking that this is kind of like a remake of Rear Window. It's very Hitchcock, very like she's watching the neighbor. He's murdered his wife. Her, She's haunting. She's got to like convince people that this guy's a bad guy. Um, which again is part of the projection because she's not everything she's thinking about the, the guy across the street is what's going on in her own home. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, so, but the, the, the struggle I have is like, I can't remember thinking like, did I, did I ever think that Harrison Ford was the bad guy until like that moment that you, it's revealed that he is uh-huh. uh, because 
there's during the table sequence. So they go to meet friends for dinner and it turns out that Claire knows the wife really well. Like they, you know, um, I can't remember exactly what they're it was. In the but same combo. They were. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They were part of that. So they're very excited to see each other. So they're talking. So they have them situated across the table where, which is so annoying. This is why I never, whenever we go places to sit, I always sit next to the people that I know I'm going to talk to. And I make sure that Jeffrey sits next to the people he's going to talk to. <laughs> this X like crossing, yeah. I can't. But anyways, what's interesting about that is because Claire is talking with, um, let me see, what was her name again? Uh, not, was it Elena? Cause it's Stan and is it Elena? Was that her name? I can't remember anyways, but they, um, does this actually say? Well, whatever. Anyways, they go to have dinner with friends and they recognize each other. And while they're talking, because I had the subtitles on, so I actually read, um, is that Claire and her are talking about their time making music and, you know, and like, whatever. They're just talking like their things. But the men are talking about how they have a colleague who has been fired for having an inappropriate relationship with an intern. And they mentioned stalking. They don't mention whether it's um, he was stalking her or she was stalking him or whatever, but it's kind of, again, it's like, and then um, Harrison Ford's character, Norman is like, Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you just, you can't get away with that kind of stuff. Like they take it very seriously these days. And it's like, it's this really awkward, weird conversation that they have that like Claire totally misses and then what interrupts it and brings them all back together is her mentioning that her ex-husband died. And then Norman immediately switches to her conversation is like, cause he's like, Oh wait, who's Michael, the friend. And he's like, Oh, that's her ex-husband. And like, suddenly it's about again. Um, and even before that, when they first started talking, he says he made an honest woman out of her, which is weird. Cause she's been married before, which is typically, isn't that what people use that to say, I've married this woman. Now she's honest. So she'd yeah. been married before her husband died, but he says he's the one who made an honest woman out of her and then interrupts the whole conversation to like, re- you know, reiterate, like, uh, you know, this, it's just a weird moment in the film about like ownership and power. That's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. recontextualized once you see the end of the film. And, you know, they're like all, it's like one of those things where they're, they're sad for this guy. Like he's obviously done something very inappropriate with an intern, bad enough to get him fired, especially in 2000. Yeah. But he's the victim, you know, and like, oh yeah. Like, you know, it's just like, oh, it sucks for, for whatever the guy's name was. I can't remember. Uh, but it's just a, a weird moment that kind of, again, I noticed in rewatching that I was like, oh, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> that kind of um, recontextualized. Because I don't think I ever paid attention to what the guys were saying. I was watching Michelle Pfeiffer talk. So I was paying attention to their conversation. So, but this time I actually paid attention to what the men were talking about. And I was like, oh, that's fucked up. See, here's the thing. I was also, I was paying attention to what Michelle Pfeiffer was saying. I was not interested in what the men were saying. Yeah, I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's that's the thing. So, uh, but I wrote that down because I was like, oh, that really kind of changes that sequence a little bit to, to again, telegraph. There's a lot of telegraphing. And again, I don't know if that's like on purpose to, to like throw you kind of like they do with the, the husband and, you know, she accuses him and then the wife walks up and it's a whole like, Oh, she's what? She's not dead. Wait, what's going on here? Have we been paying attention to the wrong story this whole time? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, so, but it, so it's like, our, yeah. So it kind of goes back and forth. And, and again, like, why is like Claire the one being haunted? Why is she going after her and not, um, you know, the husband, why is she not making his life miserable? Which is actually still a good question, I think, to some some degree, except that 
maybe Claire's just more open. Maybe it's one of those like unsaid things that like maybe she can convince the wife that like this is real and is really happening. Um, and then they can like team up to punish Norman, I guess is the, is kind of the goal. <laughs> um, all right. Just kind of looking here for any other random uh, things that I, that I saw. Now, I think we already discussed all this telegraphing stuff, how, how the plot kind of spoils itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, um, I mean, I don't know if we even need to really discuss the <laughs> gaslighting, but obviously uh, there is a very, uh, reminds me again of the of that movie that we just watched last week. Uh, there's some stuff in here that's like very classic gaslighting. Um, I do like this. Norman acts to protect himself, his work and his reputation. The terror he unleashes on women is born of privilege. He thinks time served to his work, science, social standing, exempts him from the consequences of his actions, which is kind of what I was talking a little bit about earlier about. I think that's how he kind of can excuse his uh, behavior. Sure, sure. Uh, and I like this. Arguably, the film's title, arguably, is as much about Norman as the disappeared women. He hides his true self beneath the veneer of respectability. Uh, note that the way he kills women is an extension both of his privilege and his gaslighting. He uses muscle relaxant to stage uh, manage their final moments, dictating both how they die and how others will interpret it, uh, which is really, again, really fucked up. I mean, it's a really a fucked up movie when like, you sit back and think about like what happens in it. He uh, also, like, Harrison Ford is just kind of like, it's, it's really delicious, his performance at the very yeah. end. Where he's just, like, he's monologuing and it's just, like, you know. And then he, like, I don't know if you caught this, but he subtly implies, like, wanting a sexual relationship with the daughter at the end. Yeah, it's super creepy. It's definitely a weird moment. Yeah, he's just, like, you know, she reminds me so much of, it'll bring us so much, your passing will bring us so much closer. She reminds me so much of you. And it's kind of like, wink, wink, gonna fuck your daughter. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. It just adds to it. Like, he just gets progressively worse, like, throughout um, as the movie goes on. And again, there are hints at it, you know, because there are things um, that are subtle. You know, when they have a conversation about the, um, he, like, thinks a colleague purposefully is, like, forgetting that his dad died or something. It's a weird thing and she's like you know you're sensitive about that and he gets kind of upset and it's like well yeah you're you're being sensitive right now like you there this is a soft spot that we could explore <laughs> you know together as a couple um In or <laughs> right or uh you can be a dickhead which is you know he kind of walks off then he comes back and kisses her and it's that weird kind of like you know oh it's over uh sort of thing but yeah there's lots of little Nice hints at it, at, at what kind of goes on uh, in in this uh, in this in this little film. Um, yeah, any other stray observations from you? Um, I really was trying. Like, I really thought that maybe the best friend was in on it because she gives her tea, and I was like, oh. Oh, <laughs> this, "This tea is like a psychedelic or something like that." Right. Yeah. Uh, I really loved how um I really loved how the uh 
when they're on the boat and you think everything's fine. And she's like, let's go to Adamant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what kind of fucking town is named Adamant? Like, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I don't know. No, <sighs> Uh, got some little hair here. This is fun. <laughs> Sorry, that's just for you, uh, viewer. Thank you for those watching this. Um, my bedhead is poking up. Anyways, alrighty. Well, that's what lies beneath. Kind of a quick uh, little look at at horror as this at the dawn of the new millennium. Uh, um, <laughs> as we went, as we we survived. And we're like, you know what? Yeah, we need we need that Catwoman Han Solo movie stat. Let's do it yes. before the world ends again. <laughs> but you know, the world's always going to end. Like that's the thing. There's there there's always uh, new theories, right? Mm-hmm. All right, Joe. Well, yay! Thank yay. you so much. This was fun. And um, oh, sh- before we wrap up, I forgot. Um, we. Love you all so much for listening to this, of course. And we just want you to know we are going on spring break. Uh, so we will be back. Uh, we're going to take off the month of April. Uh, do some refresh, revive, uh, revitalize, relift, revisit, yeah. renaissance. All the words for that. All the rewords. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and then we're going to come back in May with another Joe takeover, which is so exciting. Last year, we did a whole Catholic horror uh, that Joe led. Joe picked all the movies. And so we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be uh, back to do that again uh, after our break. So we appreciate you listening. Uh, get caught up on the show. Um, you know, if you haven't check out our Patreon, uh, follow us on all the on all the things. Uh, before they're made illegal uh, <laughs> the social media um, and yeah that's it right we'll see you in a month see you in a month have a good spring break y'all yeah good night Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.